0: Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. So treat people like family. So first, obviously, not all families treat each other well. So let's just get that out of the way. So for some of us, we need to totally overhaul the way that we operated in our family, the ways that we were treated, or the way that we treated others within our family. We need to totally just rewire ourselves and how we treat moms, dads, siblings. Um, and we need to relearn that. And over, like I said, over the next three weeks, we're gonna, Paul is going to define more cre- clearly for us how we should treat people like family. But here he's urging Timothy to treat people like fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, the way they should be treated. And he says first, treat older men like fathers. And he says, don't rebuke an older man. Now this is an interesting phrase because this word rebuke, it's the only time that this Greek word is used in the New Testament. So rebuke you see a lot in the English translation, but this particular word is only in there once. And it's right here in 5 verse 1. And it's not like a necessary correction or calling out, like we're going to see in 5 verse 20. It's not that type of rebuke. This is an overly harsh, sharp speech. So the Greek word literally means to strike at So Paul's telling young Timothy that older men, men who are older than you, even if they're wrong about something and you need to correct them, should be treated with the utmost respect and dignity like you would treat a father. So instead of being harsh or sharp, he says, exhort them. And this word means to come alongside them. So even if you have to warn them or correct them, you should need to do it in such a way that they feel like you're coming alongside them and not coming at them. And we all know the difference between those two. But to help even more, he says to come alongside them like a father. So recently, um, a gentleman my dad's age asked me what I thought God was saying or doing in their life. And I actually had a good idea in the moment of what God perhaps was saying or doing, but I thought it would be better just to give him some time, just to kind of show him some respect as like a father figure. And so I was like, yeah, let me think about that. Let me pray about that. Um, So I came back to him a few weeks later, asked him if he had figured it out, and he's like, no, I just have no idea. And I said, well, I'm not 100% certain that this is like, you know, from God, this is what he's up to. But here's an idea, and I shared it with him, and he received it really well, um, and it was helpful to him, and he was very thankful for it, in fact. But why? Because I came alongside of him instead of coming at him. I came alongside of him like I would with my dad, like I would with my dad now, not like I did with my dad often in high school and just admittedly. I was often coming at him, um, and we've we've worked through a lot of stuff, and it's it's good. We're at a much better spot now. So treat older men like fathers. Next, we see we need to treat younger men like brothers. At the end of verse one, so anyone with younger siblings gets this. Okay, a younger brother needs you to be their biggest fan. They they need you to be that older sibling that's like no one messes with my younger brother. No one yeses, messes with my younger sister, with my younger sibling. Younger brothers need you to tell them to knock it off sometimes, right? Younger brothers need you to tell them to step it up because they're being lazy. Younger brothers need you to give them some advice and some guidance. And, and in life in general, isn't this how this works? We are always looking to the people who are in the, like the next stage in life, like the very next stage, As like older brother, older sister figures. Younger brothers don't need you to ignore them. As much as, you know, if you're an older sibling, as you probably did that or have done that. That's not what they need from you. And they don't need you to make fun of them as much as you maybe have done that as well. What younger brothers need is a true friend who points them to Christ. Then... Beginning of verse 2, treat older women like mothers. And it reminds me of Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 where it says, listen my son to your father's instruction and don't reject your mother's teaching for they will be a garland of favor on your head and pendants around your neck. So listen to older women. Don't Reject them, like it says here in Proverbs 1. Don't reject your mother's teaching. That's what it means to treat older women like mothers. Take time to listen to, to draw out the wisdom of older women. See, you need spiritual mothers in your life right now. I'm blessed in my connection group to hear the wisdom of women who are a little farther along in life, especially in the area of parenting, and I really appreciate that and need that in my life. So we just we need to have humble teachable hearts and attitudes toward older women. Then he says treat younger women like sisters at the end of verse 2 and he adds with all purity. So he's saying this essentially treat younger women like sisters and nothing more, Timothy. Nothing more than that. Cuz see you you protect your little sister. You encourage your little sister. You don't take advantage of your little sister. And you don't look at or think of or treat your little sister as an object. And you stand up for her if anyone else does treat her like an object. That's how you treat a sister, a little sister with all purity. And the same principle would be applied to women. Women treat younger men like little brothers. And nothing more than that. So we have all of these different commands here. And and what's the motivation? Why should we treat people like family? Well, it's because God treats us like sons and daughters. That's, That's the good news of the gospel. He welcomes us in when we repent and believe in Christ. He welcomes us in and makes us sons and daughters. And if God treats us with that level of dignity, how much more dignity should we treat each other with? And so the next three weeks, I just kind of want to outline it on the screen for you. So treat people like family because God treats us like family. So today, in the following verses, in, in chapter 5, verses 3 to 16, we're going to see how to treat people like family at, tr- at home. And then next week, we're going to see how to treat people like family at church. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll see how to treat people like family at work. So let's start with how to treat people like family at home. Let's read verses 3 to 16, 1 Timothy 5, verse 3. Support widows who are genuine, genuinely in need. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for her good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, "...helped the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work." Verse 11, "...but refuse to enroll younger women. For when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry, and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, going from house to house. They are not only idle, but they are also gossips and busybodies, saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry." Have children manage their households and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. The first general principle I want to show you in here is that first you need to treat family like family. Verse 8 says this very clearly. If anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You hear that strong language? Worse than an unbeliever. Treat your immediate family like family first and foremost. In verse 4, he reiterates it. Learn to practice godliness toward their own family first, for this pleases God. It's like Paul is saying to Timothy, this young pastor, hey, don't let people abandon their family responsibilities. And don't let them do it for no good reason either. See, there's not a person that I've met that just really doesn't care for at least one of their family members. Like they they, they, they like tolerate them, right? But there's like someone in their family that it's just they're kind of hard for them to love. But this doesn't give you permission to check out on them. See, just because you found a new family in the family of God in His church, you don't have permission to just abandon your family. One of our elders, Dave Niebel thought of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 15, and I think it's really fitting, so I want to read this to you in context. So it's on the screen for you, Matthew 15, 1 to 9. Then Jesus was approached by Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem who asked, "'Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat.' And he answered them, "'Why do you break God's commandment because of your tradition? For God said, "'Honor your father and your mother.'" And whoever speaks evil of father or mother will be put to death. But you say, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me as a gift committed to the temple, he does not have to honor his father. In this way, you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition. Hypocrites. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. So if you didn't catch it, these hypocritical teachers are trying to con people into giving money to God that was going to be used to take care of their parents. And Jesus is saying God is absolutely disgusted by that. First Timothy five eight reiterates it. Hey. You're worse than an unbeliever if you take money that is needed to take care of your parents and give it to the church. You know where unbelievers go, right? He's saying you're worse than that if you do that. There was a a person in our church recently who realized that they were so busy with church activities that they, they didn't have the time they needed for their family. So they dropped some church stuff. And you know what I say to that? Praise God. Praise God. See, if, if we're so busy doing, quote unquote, God's work at church that your family is neglected. If I am so busy doing God's work at church that my wife and my kids are neglect, neglected, then I'm not doing God's work. So what does it mean to treat our immediate family as family? It means to honor them. Jesus just quoted in Matthew 15. He just quoted from Exodus and he quoted from Leviticus. He quoted from the Ten Commandments. Hey, honor means to not speak evil about them to other people. Honor means to treat them with respect and dignity. Honor your father and mother. See, what others watch the way you treat your family members and think, wow, they really honor them? What does it mean to treat our immediate family as family? You honor them and then you provide for them, verse 8. You meet their physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. You have an obligation to make sure that food is on the table and a roof is over their head. Your duty is to make sure that your family knows about the good news of Jesus. Now, obviously, it's it's up to them if they are going to accept that. And really love Jesus, right? But it's your duty to make sure that they know about the good news of Jesus. And it's your responsibility to make sure that your family is seen and heard and known. Honor and provide for your family first. Next, we see in the scripture that we need to support the helpless in our families. First Timothy five four. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first, and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. And you noticed, I'm sure you noticed as I was reading this passage, widows especially. If you have widows in your family, if your dad or your grandpa dies, it is on you to make sure that your mom or your grandma is taken care of. And the motivation is said at the end of verse 4. This pleases God. So let me put it this way. God cares deeply about moms and grandmas. That's what this is saying. God cares deeply about moms and grandmas and failing to care for them is choosing to deliberately dishonor God. And so as your parents begin to age, feel the weight of this responsibility and calling. But the general principle here is that we need to support anyone who is legitimately helpless in our families. Remember, we were all helpless orphans as well without Christ. But God, our Father, made us sons and daughters when we were helpless by sending His own Son to die for us. So now we need to turn and extend God's help to the helpless to our own families. And so this could mean for you aging parents. It could mean that you need to move. It could mean that you need to um, have them come live with you or pay for arrangements for them. It could, this could look many different ways, but just as they took care of you when you were a helpless baby and literally wiped your butt, hopefully, um, You are then called to take care of them as they grow frail and in need. Who else could be helpless? Kids, right? I mean, most people know and feel this responsibility naturally, but it can't be overstated. As as confident or as independent as your kids might appear to you, they are helpless without your support, care, and guidance. This couldn't mean... People in your family with special needs. You may need to care for them for the rest of your life even. And some of you will be called to that. But here's your gospel motivation. Maybe this is you. Here's your gospel motivation. See, God the Father cares for us for the rest of our lives and for the rest of eternity. So we can be motivated and encouraged to care for them day in and day out. Support anyone who is legitimately helpless in our families next principle we see in this scripture is that we need to treat the familyless like family first Timothy five three support widows who are genuinely in need. The church family is to support to honor to provide for the familyless like their own family. See the big reason why the church is called a family is because those with no support from their biological family can find it in the family of God. This is why, and you might say to yourself, why does Paul get so detailed on widows here? And the best answer I could find is that it's believed that the church in Ephesus, where Timothy was the pastor, Paul's writing to him, that there was just a lot of widows. So he was giving him some very practical, specific advice. But I thought of James 1.27 to add to everything else he's saying in here. James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Orphans and widows literally have no one to care for them. So why is this so pure and undefiled religion before God the Father? Because you're doing exactly what God did when he adopted us as children. When we look after orphans and widows as a church family, we do this as a way to bring the gospel to life in real time. Because it reminds us as we serve them, of the gospel. Of him making us sons and daughters. It shows those orphans and those widows the gospel. And it powerfully demonstrates the gospel. To those who are spiritually still orphaned without a father. It shouts to this world. Hey you can find a father. You can be children of God. So we need to treat the familyless like family. But. But. Don't. Enable them. And he goes out of his way in this passage to say this. So look at 5 and 6 again with me. It says, The widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Paul's got some strong language here in this passage. Don't enable them. He says there's got to be some standards that have to be upheld when you're helping widows out. And so the first one, he says, they have to be truly in need and left all alone. They actually have to have no family to help them, or they have some family that could help them that need a good kick in the butt. And what you need to do is go kick that family in the butt so that they start taking care of them. Another standard is that he says that she has to put her hope in God. The church family is to support widows who truly love Jesus, who have given themselves to prayer, who have given themselves to God fully. And thirdly, that she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So he's saying you're not to waste the church's money and support on ungodly lifestyles. We're not going to enable people to waste their lives on temporary things. We're going to provide for the needs of widows so that they can worship Jesus, so they can focus on the eternal in their final days. But there's more standards than this. He gets really detailed, 9 through 16. He says, No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, And is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet and helped the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. For when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle going from house to house. They're not only idle... But there are also gossips and busybodies saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. So more standards here. At first glance, if you look at verse 11 and 14, they seem contradictory, don't they? You you want young widows not to remarry in verse 11, and you want them to remarry in verse 14? Which is it, Paul? And so at closer look, verses 11 and 12 are actually a warning against enrolling younger widows. So supporting them financially and otherwise so that they can devote themselves fully to Christ. So it's important, end of verse 12, it says that they pledged themselves to God. So part of what they would have them do, these widows, is they were saying, no, instead of being married, it's like you're married to Christ, which which is true of anyone who is in Christ. We are first and foremost, the, the analogy of scripture used that we are married to him. But so he's saying, you made a pledge that you are going to just devote the rest of your life to God and not to marriage. And so he's saying, hey, if you do that, if you make that pledge before God and before the church and then go back on it, not not a good deal. So he's saying, if widows are getting support from the church, they can't be preoccupied with getting remarried. But verse 14 is saying, instead of getting a widow support from the family, if they're able to, if she can, remarry so that she can be supported by him. And then you save that that money and that help for the truly helpless widows who are completely devoted to God. Now notice all the guardrails Paul tells Timothy to put up in verses 9 through 16. He says, have an age limit on it here, verse 9, which would be more like the 70s, if you're in your 70s, then 60, just with life expectancy difference today. says make sure they were actually devoted to their former husband. Make sure that, you know, she's not a widow, but she was, she was pretty uh, not in that marriage when, she, when he was alive. And then make sure she's actually devoted to Christ and his people, verse 10. And then don't enable younger women to waste their lives and tear down the church. And he. Spells out ways that that could happen even in verses 11 to 15. Now Paul isn't setting up all these guidelines and guardrails here to be stingy. He wants the church to actually just help the helpless and not hurt people in trying to help. And guardrails are needed to ensure that you're not enabling people with your quote-unquote help. Alright, let me share a story from Pastor Al- Alistair Begg. That I just thought was incredible. And this is what we need to shoot for as a church. He said, One of the most influential churches in Southern California for the last 40 years, with thousands and thousands of members, sorry, with thousands and thousands of square feet of building, was in its first surge of significant building, built by a man who was a small boy when his father died. And his mom widowed in her early 30s, had absolutely no means of support at all, and so the men from the church came to that mother, to that widow, and to her small children, and they literally built her a home. And this young boy watched as the men from the church built a home in which they lived, and this little guy, Burton, in seeing this, got down on his knees and said, oh God, you sent the men, and you built me a house. And one day when I grow up, I'm going to build you a house. And that is exactly what he did. And in that house, thousands and thousands have heard the gospel and been stirred to follow Christ as a result of genuine, practical Christianity. The gospel starts to have feet, starts to really show itself to people when we care for the helpless in our families and in our church families. There are helpless people in your family. There are helpless people in our church family that need you to step in and help them. How could you help them this week even? Who does God bring to mind? Even as I'm speaking, even as we're reading the scripture this morning, that you could go out of your way to help. But here's the thing. Before you just get too, you know, excited about go oh, I'm going to help everyone the key to seeing and responding to the helpless and the needy in life is actually to daily recognize your own helplessness and neediness see apart from the grace of god i'm i'm lost and doomed and rudderless and i'm an orphan and that is the same for you apart from the grace of god you are lost and you're doomed and you're rudderless and purposeless and orphaned but because of the grace of God, we are found and we are secure and we are purposeful children of God. And so I want to challenge you to change your inner dialogue about yourself. So each day we're always, we're always talking to ourselves. We're always saying things to ourselves in our minds over and over in our day. And so I want to challenge you to not think of what the world tells you. Our world right now tells you to think, you've got this. Say to yourself, I've I've got this today. I'm gonna pull myself up on my bootstraps and I'm I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna help the needy. And I would say that that is not following Christ. Instead, come to God in neediness and helplessness. And instead of saying to yourself, I've got this, say to yourself, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need you right now, Jesus. And that, as that settles more into your daily thought life and your heart and your mind, your eyes will actually start to open more and more to the neediness and helplessness around you because when you humble yourself and realize how helpless and needy you actually are, you can't help but see the helplessness and neediness in the lives of the people around you. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would change our mindset, That we really would would not look down at people as, oh, look, they're really helpless and needy. No, we would first see that the ground really is level at the foot of the cross. That we are helpless and needy ourselves. And part from the grace of God, we're doomed. We're abandoned. But because of the grace of God, we are found. And we are your children. And so I pray that that reality would move us to help widows and orphans and anyone who is helpless in our families and in our church family. And I pray for those here, Lord, that are helpless and really do need help. I pray that you would give them the courage and the strength to ask for help. Because we can't help people as a church family if we don't even know the need exists. So help people to kind of get over themselves in a way, to get over that form of pride, of, of wanting to ask for help when they need it, and, and be willing to ask for it. And help us as well to just be willing and ready to help anyone who has a need and is helpless. Lord, give us your heart and your mind for people. Just thank you so much for your word. Help it to come to life in our lives this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.